So a quick poll after I pick up my water. You have to be honest, okay? When I say the word self-improvement, how many of you get excited? Uh, there, there, there's some people, no, no, don't apologize. There's some people like, yeah, I want to get better. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. How many of you hear self-improvement like, no. You see nobody will raise their hand. <laughs> that's what I said. You got to be honest. No. No, our, our culture right now is kind of enamored with self-improvement. And there's good self-improvement and there's worldly self-improvement. There's godly self-improvement there's worldly self-improvement. And self-improvement can be a good thing. I mean, there really are. I mean, we all want to grow. We need to grow. We need to do better in, in, in life in some ways. We need to, to walk closer with God. We need to love our family better. I mean, there's so many times God convicts us of things that, yeah, he says, you know what, put in the work and, and do better. And that's okay. That's a good thing. We want to hear from God in that. But then there's this other side that our culture has just kind of grabbed hold of that our self-improvement has be made our, our lives all about us. You know, I want to get better. I want, I, 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 I. And before we know it, we didn't even mean it, but we're so wrapped up in self-improvement that really all we're wrapped up in is self at the end of the day. And that is so contrary to God's plan of self-improvement. Step one in God's plan of self-improvement is what? Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Follow me. So step one is, hey, realize this isn't about me. And then we enter into the improvement process of discipleship. And look, discipleship is. We should improve as people. But it's not about us. We improve, we grow, we change so that we can better serve and represent God in this world. Not so that we are like, look at what I have accomplished. And that's what too much self-improvement in this world has turned into is we're, we're fighting, you know, for, for Instagram likes and clicks and everything else for, look what I have done. Where God, he has a discipleship process, a process of growth that he wants all of his people to enter into. And it does involve growth. It does involve discipleship. And we've talked about part of that process in here is one it begins with becoming a worshiper that we have to learn that there is the God of the universe the creator of heaven and earth that is worthy of praise and it is up to us to enter into that praise and that worship regularly in spirit and in truth that is a part of growing as a human being if we don't worship we are not the people God created us to be because God created us to worship and so in order to enter into God's program of improvement, we have to learn to worship. But not only that, we have to, what's the next step? Anybody remember? We become a worshiper and? Well, that's today's. <laughs> we skipped a step. Become a student of Scripture and prayer. We have to learn the truth. 
Otherwise, we get driven by our feelings. We get driven by the culture. We get driven by every, everything that comes along. We're just tossed, as Scripture says in Ephesians, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, everything that comes along. And if you watch our culture, you can see that. People are just swept along over here, now over here, now over here. God doesn't want that for his people. He doesn't want us influenced by every fad and every trend that comes along. He doesn't want us changing our belief system based on every new thing that somebody thinks of. He wants us grounded in the truth. And that only happens when we, as we talked last week, put in the work to learn the truth. We have to study the word. We have to make the word a part of who we are, not just in learning Bible facts, but in understanding that the scriptures are the words of life. And it's the lens through which we should interpret everything in life. And then, as we learn the truth, and the truth becomes a part of us, there will be another step that happens naturally. You cannot continue to learn the word and make it a part of yourself and refuse this step. You'll either stop studying scripture You'll stop listening to it or you'll take this step and that is that you will become a servant witness. God expects it. Everybody. Now, we'll serve differently. We'll witness differently. There will, you know, you'll have your individual flair to it, your, your individual gifting, your, your area of service and, and all of that and we'll talk about it. But the process of discipleship, of growing more and more like Jesus involves that we eventually will become a servant witness in this world. Why? Because there's a basic truth in the New Testament that we as Americans, we genuinely find offensive. Okay, so I'm, just, I'm not going to hedge around that. We, we don't like it. And that is, do you know what the most basic, the most common descriptor of identity, identity marker in Scripture for a Christian in the New Testament is slave. How many of us are like, ooh, sign me up? It is. We are, we are to be a slave of righteousness. We are to be slaves and servants of God. We are to see ourselves as working for Him. We are His workers, as we saw last week, and so we are to serve. And we are to adopt that identity of being a servant witness. It, we can't just serve and we can't just witness. And I think this is one of the problems that we've had kind of church culture-wide is how many of here in the last 30 years have gone through witness training? Isn't that fun? Don't you feel like you're on a sales team and you're like learning the best sales pitch that you've ever been told and you just, you're desperate to convince people that they need Jesus. And it's like, here's how you do it. Here's, here are the questions you ask and you learn how to do it. And there's always that one person that is like amazingly good at it, right? And everybody else is like, ah. and then you have the awkward visit where you go and you're like, do you know Jesus? Do you want to? No? Okay, bye. <laughs> and we just kind of keep trying to force that. And so then the pendulum swung, and it's like, you know what? 
I would rather just serve people and let them know that they're loved. And suddenly, St. Francis of Assisi, his quote became life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. And all of the people that were awkward with witnessing are like, yes, I love it. This is it. I'm going to serve and I'm going to love people and I can do good stuff and they're going to be drawn to Jesus because I have served them so much. And you know what didn't happen? People weren't drawn to Jesus just through your actions. You know why? Because to preach the gospel, we have to use words. That statement, while it sounds wonderful, you know, use words if necessary, is wrong because words are necessary. Nobody has ever come to Jesus without hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, and that word is the gospel. And so we can serve all day and do good things. And I'm not saying we shouldn't, but at the end of the day, that service has to come to a point where we say, you know, I'm doing this for the kingdom of God because God loves me and gave his son for me. And I want you to see what the truth is all about. So I serve, I love, but at the end of the day, I'm also wanting God to get the glory and the credit for it, and I want to tell people about Jesus. And so we have to take this side of witnessing, and we got to take this side of serving, and we got to be able to somehow pull them back together because that's exactly how it was done in the early church. That's how it's always been done when successful evangelism happens is it's the servant witnesses. And when I say evangelism, don't get images of Billy Graham in your head, okay? That's different. That's something entirely different. And yeah, he's sharing the good news and everything. But evangelism for a church, for a body of Christ in a community, involves servant witnesses. Where we give ourselves to the work of God, to loving our neighbors ourselves for a purpose of revealing Jesus Christ to the world. And we cannot separate them. Service becomes a part of who we are as Christians. And why? Because it's who Jesus was. In Matthew 20, 28, he said, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the natural progression is that we learn the truth an increase in our study of Scripture and prayer, we worship, and that then we begin to exhibit the traits of a servant of Jesus Christ. Jesus served people, and he told them the truth of who he was. He told them the truth of the kingdom of God. And he used the service as a means to get people's attention to hear the truth. That's our model. But it's not something that we can just kind of ho-hum about and just kind of you know, enter into occasionally, we literally have to take on the identity of a servant witness. I work for God so that I can tell people about God. I work so that my work brings glory to God and he gets the credit for everything that I do. And this is an identity that we have to take on. And so, hence, all of this has to do with identity. This entire discipleship process and this series that we're talking about, you become a worshiper. I am a worshiper of Jesus Christ. I will worship him until the day I die. It's who I am. We have to become a student of Scripture and prayer. 
The Word of God is the foundation of my life. That's it. And we have to become a servant witness. I exist to bring glory to God and to serve His kingdom. Now, the, the good thing on this is, like I said, you can't continue to be in Scripture and worship and not start taking this step. This is one of those steps that you have to intentionally resist if you're going <laughs> if you if you don't get there. It took effort not to get there. And so we're going to look today at 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11 at what Peter has to say about this, okay? And so he says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who, ser- who speaks the oracles of God Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, what he is calling us to do is to serve. But there's a great truth that's revealed right at the beginning of this. What does he say? He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. The great truth in this is that God equips us for his work. There are spiritual gifts. There are gifts that God gives so that we can accomplish the work he wants us to accomplish. He gifts us for it. And it's a spiritual gift. It's given by him. You have to be a worshiper. You have to be a student of scripture and prayer. You've got to enter into these other things. And then the gifting will start to appear. Because we are walking with him, the Spirit is transforming us. As the Spirit transforms us, the gifting starts to appear and we start to realize what it is that God wants us to do. The difficulty in that so many times is what we want to do and what God wants us to do wind up being two very different things. And when I say that, don't think of it in a rebellious manner. Sometimes we're like, God, I want to serve you like this. And he says, no, I want you to serve me like this. And we say, but I really like this. This is what I want to do. And God says, I know, but that's not what I gifted you to do. I want you to do this. And we argue with God about it many times for years in life, and we don't ever feel the power in our service. We go ahead and we enter in. We're doing the things, and and we'll even say we are honestly trying to serve God, and we never see the power behind our service. And we're like, God, why won't you bless me? And he's like, because you're not doing what I asked. I want you to use your gifts that I've given you And here's the weird thing on this. The spiritual gift that he gives us at first will not feel natural to us. Because it's something that we have to engage in at a level that he's going to get the glory, not us. And so there's always going to be something that's going to feel a little strange about it of like, I'm not sure this is me. And God's like, good. Good. Because I don't want you taking credit for it. I want me to get the credit for it. And so your spiritual gift is always going to point back to him. Y'all know when God called me to ministry, I was deathly afraid of public speaking. And I mean that. I, I, I laughed. I was like, God, seriously, you want me to preach? That's funny. And the first few times I preached, I was so nervous. It was obvious. I mean, I, and it was just there. And you know, I have gotten over that, obviously. And I've, I've learned there's a great joy in me in preaching the word of God. 
But you know what I've noticed? I'm not very good at public speaking when it's not doing God's work. And people, I've had people like, oh, you're speaking people in front of people all the time. And I'm like, yeah, but this is different. You see, this is a spiritual gift that God's given, and he wants me to do it. When, if I wanted to go out and just try to do political speeches, trust me, it wouldn't work. You know why? Because that's not what God's called me to do. He's not going to bless us in efforts that are not in his calling. And there's something to be learned for all of us in that is that he equips us for this. Listen again to what he says. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Notice what he didn't say right here. He didn't say use it to improve yourself. Use it to improve your situation. Use it to your own advantage. What did he say? Use it to serve others. And so there's a gifting that he gives to every Christian that is meant to serve his kingdom and is meant to edify and build up others in their faith. And so every single one of us has to develop within ourselves an attitude of my calling is to help other people follow Christ. Now that doesn't mean you're called, everybody's called to be a pastor. That would be a horrible sermon. Because, trust me, I'd be yelling over you and you'd be yelling over me and there'd be like one person out here trying to listen to all of it. It wouldn't work. But that's why we are the body of Christ. Many different functions, many different things have to happen. And when we use the gift that he's given us to serve the body of Christ, to serve for his glory, to tell other people, amazing things start to happen. It's just like this machine that just kind of starts working, just like the human body. A foot is not a hand. A hand is not a foot. An arm isn't a leg. But when each part does its part, the whole thing accomplishes something greater than what any one part could accomplish. And God equips us for this. You see, God does not equip, does, God does not call where he does not equip. If he tells us to serve others, you will have a gifting in some sense to be able to serve others. Now, again, it may look very different from somebody else's service. Don't worry about that. But he does equip us. And so we're called to serve, and that means developing an attitude of putting others before ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to deny ourselves to the point that we don't live and, you know, our life is miserable and people run over us and we're doormats, and that, that's not what I'm saying. But it means we look within the body of Christ and say, you know what, where can I give more than I'm getting? Think of serving in that way, putting others first. It doesn't mean you ignore yourself. It just says put them first. So where can I give in a way that I am giving more than I am getting? It changes our focus. Because, look, we all have to receive from the body of Christ. We do. We have to minister to each other. True friendship and true love is a give-and-take relationship. I can't love you if you won't receive the blessings I want to give. You can't love me if I won't receive your, your friendship and your love back and the blessings you want to give me. That is what loving your neighbor is entering into that relationship where there is give-and-take. The attitude that Christians should develop within that, though, is I want to give more than I take. Now, don't feel guilty 
for taking. God doesn't want that either. He doesn't want us to neglect our actual needs in life. We all need friends. We all need that kind of love and that relationship. Don't feel guilty for needing and wanting that, but develop an attitude of putting others first. When we do that, it doesn't get out of balance. We don't start to focus on ourselves in an unhealthy manner. We can admit our needs. We can admit who we are in the process. But at the same time, we don't forget about other people and it stays healthy. This is how the Apostle Paul says it in Philippians 2. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. So what he's saying, if you're walking with God at all, these are the things that should start happening. Okay. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, when he says this is yours in Christ Jesus, he's saying this, God will provide this. He's going to equip you to be able to do this. But it's only through Jesus that it happens. Which means we have to do what Jesus said. If anybody would follow him, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. This will not feel natural. What is the natural state of man? Sin. What is sin? Selfishness. Idolatry of self. At the end of the day. I want to be God. And so we have to deny that in ourselves. We have to deny the urge to make life about ourselves and make it about God. And when it's about God, there will be this equipping that will come from the Spirit that will allow us to put others before ourselves. And this is such a great promise when he says, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. He, we don't have to earn it. We don't have to, to, to you know, Force God to give. He says, this is yours. I'm giving it to you. The ability to do this is there because he will equip us to do it. So if it doesn't happen, all that is, and I mean this, all that is is evidence is that we have stopped the discipleship process and rebelled against God's will for our lives. And I know that's a tough statement. That's a hard one. But if we cannot get to the point of of becoming a servant witness where we we desire to serve other people in some way. Now, maybe it's a a service that's very behind the scenes and draws zero attention to yourselves. Or maybe it's a service like this where you're in front of everybody. God will tell you what that is. Okay? And one is not greater than the other. I mean that. You, you servants in this church that serve behind the scenes, your ministry is just as important. And God sees it and he blesses it. You all make things function in this church that if it were up to me would not happen. <laughs> okay, it, it, that's not my gifting. It's your gifting. And those of you fulfilling it, thank you. But God does equip us for these things. And if we accept that equipping, if we accept that discipleship process where he works in our hearts and moves us, we will become servant witnesses.
And now here's, not only does he equip us, but grace motivates us. How many of you have been really motivated about something one day and the next day you're like, never mind. It normally happens around January 1st. And by January 5th, you know, it's like, never mind. We lose motivation. We lose, you know, all this. Listen, grace is an amazing thing. When we focus on God's grace for what it really is and get, get into the depth, we start to realize it's more than just, you know, the, well, God, you know, he forgives us and he didn't have to. Well, that's part of grace, yes. But grace is so much bigger than that. When we say grace is God's unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor in our lives, look, having God's favor, that's more than just, hey, God isn't mad at you. That is God is intimately involved with you in life and is moving you through his process of redeeming you and making you more like Christ. His process, his power involved in your life in, at levels that we can't even understand and we don't deserve, but he does it anyway. And it's for our good and it's for his glory and they work together and it's an amazing thing. And this is why Peter says this, okay? He tells us, he doesn't have to guilt people into serving. He says, you know, with the gift that you've received, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another and then in order to motivate us, he doesn't guilt people. He doesn't say, because Jesus died for you and you owe him everything, so you better do it. That's not what he does. What does he say? He says, as good stewards of God's very grace. That's the motivation. Now, it's easy for us to just kind of read over that. Like, oh, okay, wait a minute. You see, Peter thinks so highly of grace and he understands what it is. That he's like, when we understand we are stewarding something incredible in our lives. We're managing a gift that God has given us. And we've got to do it for his glory. And we'll get into what stewardship is in a second. But as we do that, it's going to motivate us and encourage us to, to do what God wants. You see, have you ever thought of yourself as a steward of grace? My guess is no, we don't hear that much. We, we celebrate grace, we talk about God's grace, but we don't ever really hear about, as Peter says right here, as good stewards of God's very grace. What is a steward? It's a manager. It is somebody who has been entrusted with something very important, and it is their job to manage it on behalf of the one who gave it to them. They don't own it, but they are responsible for it. And what they are responsible for is to use it in such a manner that it is for the good of the one who owns it. So if you have a steward of your finances, you have somebody handling your money for your good. Now, we would get very upset if they mishandled it, you know, used it for selfish purposes, right? Hey, I hired you to be a steward of my money and you spent it all like it was your own. We would be very upset, right? Well, how do you think God feels when we accept his grace and then live life for ourselves? He says, no, I gave you that grace for my kingdom. I gave you that grace because you are now mine, slave. You belong to me. Now, belonging to God is amazing. <laughs> okay? 
when, when he created the world, he created us to belong to him, uh, to be in relationship with him. So this is really, it's the best thing in the world is to be God's slave, to be owned by him. But we still have to understand that relationship. We belong to him. And we are managers of the things that he has given us. What was the call in the Garden of Eden, our Genesis folk? He put him in the garden to tend it and keep it. Guess what? That's stewardship. Hey, I made this world. It's mine, but you go take care of it. That's your job. Now, in the new creation, our job is to tend and develop God's grace in our life. He gives it to us. It is amazing. And so he expects us to use the gifts he gave us. And a gift is a gift. It's grace. He didn't have to. He didn't have to die on the cross. He didn't have to give us his spirit. He did. Everything God has done for us is done by grace. And he expects us to be good stewards of that grace. We are to manage them in a way that we use them faithfully and fruitfully according to the owner's desires. So we have to learn about grace. We have to learn about our gifts. We have to learn about his kingdom. Kind of sounds like being a student of scripture and word, right? And as we learn about that, then we do the things he told us to do. I want you to think about it like this, because grace goes beyond just, hey, here's what I expect. Okay, grace empowers us. Grace motivates us. The Ten Commandments, we can say those are the cold, hard truth, right? I, nobody would argue that. Okay, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help us God. That is the Ten Commandments. And yet, when we think about the Ten Commandments, they provide us the truth, but do they provide us the means to fulfill it? No. All the Ten Commandments can do is let you know where you failed. They set the standard. Here's what perfection is. And guess what? You're not there. And that's what the Ten Commandments do. That's what the law does. That's all it can do is say, hey, look, I'm way up here and you're not. That's it. It can do nothing else. But grace is amazing. Now, Galatians 3.21, he says it this way. He says, if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But what is righteousness from? It is by grace. There is not a law in this world that can make us righteous. All the law can do is let us know that we're not righteous. That's it. It lets us know our need for grace. But listen to what Paul says in Titus 2, 11 and 12. It says, for the grace of God has appeared. One, bringing salvation for all people, something the law could not do. So it has provided righteousness. And then what does it say? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. Grace does all of that. It not only answers the problem of, hey, you're not righteous, It provides salvation and then teaches us how to live the right way. It trains us to live in the right way. So if grace is going to work in our lives, when he says we are to be stewards of it, what he's telling us is we got to cooperate with the work that grace is doing within us. We can't work against it. We have to work with it. We have to cooperate in everything because it's training us. It's teaching us how to live. It's empowering us to move forward. Grace motivates us because it fills us with hope. See, the Ten Commandments would leave us without hope. All we could do is look at it and say, oh, yeah, I broke them. 
hopelessness. There, nothing else can be done. But grace says, hey, I know you broke the law, but look, I took care of that. I brought you salvation. Oh, but God, I, I am a mess. I'm messed up. He goes, I know, but I'm going to fix that. I'm going to fix that. And so I'm going to train you how to live. So I need you to do this because part of your training is you've got to learn how to do this. I need you to become a worshiper. Oh, but God, I don't know. Those people in there, man, church is, church is messed up. And he goes, yeah, so are you. Go to church. Go learn to worship me. Okay, okay, I'll go worship. I'll become a worshiper. And you become a worshiper. He says, see, in that word? He says, yeah, man, I'm worshiping you, and I'm, I feel your presence. It's, this, is, this is good. He says, okay, now I want you to get into my word. Oh, God, I'm not very smart. Get in my word. Okay. And we get in his word, and I'm like, oh, this is amazing. God, you're teaching me so much. That's what grace does. You are teaching me. And yet, who's doing the reading? I am. I'm reading, putting in the word. He says, now I want you to go serve because I need you to learn how to love other people. The way I've loved you, I want you to take the way I've loved you and the way I've made you feel and the way I have, I have given you new life and now I want you to take it and I want you to go give that away to other people. Okay, God, you know I'm going to be really bad at this. Yeah, but I'm going to teach you how. That's what grace does. It equips us. It moves us forward and that is God's active presence in our lives. And it never stops. And so grace isn't just, hey, God's not mad at you anymore. God is, hey, he is reaching in. He's pulling you out of the pit. And he's going to lift you up to a height you never thought possible. But it is all for his purposes. It is not a free-for-all of like, okay, now I've got God's grace and I'm feeling good about life. Now I'm going to go live how I want. I'm going to get into some self-improvement and I'm going to be awesome. And God says, you will never be awesome. I will do awesome things through you and I'm going to be awesome and I'm going to get the credit and I'm going to get the glory for it and you're going to have joy unspeakable because of it, but you will never be awesome. And don't think you're going to be. Because your life, that's not what this is about. It's not about you anymore. It's about him. And so this grace, as we manage it in our lives, it's going to look different for everybody. Same purpose, glorify Jesus Christ. Do not mistake what I am saying here. It will always bring glory back to God and to Jesus Christ and point people towards the gospel. If it doesn't do that, it's not from God. Okay? Because what I'm about to say, people get confused on. So understand, that is never going to change. But it will look, it will present itself differently in people's lives because the gifting is different. And so what does Peter say about it? He, he says, it will always point back to God and it will witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will edify those who practice it. But he says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Obviously, he's not trying to create an exhaustive list. He's giving us a principle for how to manage grace. If God gives you a job to do, you need to et attach eternal significance to it. And I don't care if the job he gives you to do is to sweep the floor. You sweep it to the glory of God, and I mean that. If he gives you a job to do, which, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You love her to the glory of God. Wives, respect your husbands. Wives, respect him to the glory of God. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit 
to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. And so when he says, if you speak, that's the ministry. This, by the way, this is the verse God used to call me to ministry. And that's why I was like, that's weird, God, because I don't speak. So why would I speak like I have the oracles of God? Why? I don't get it because that's not me. And he says, hey, it will be. Just wait. Grace is going to train you in how to do this. But whatever you do, you attach eternal significance and importance to it. Knowing that God has a reason for having you do it. And you have no idea the impact that God could have through your service. We can look at it and say, oh, I, just, you know, I don't know that this, look, I'm telling you, do not underestimate what God can do through a servant of his being a servant witness in this world. God will use you. And when we serve according to that grace, when we understand what God is doing with us, God's glory satisfies us. And I mean that, it satisfies us. You see, there's a problem with self-improvement in this world by worldly standards is when is enough is enough? When, when is enough enough? We never get satisfied by the world, right? We've all tried in different ways to be satisfied by the world, by something in the world. There's never enough. You know, I remember there was a, a huge yacht once on the back. It said never enough. That's fitting. You know, the guy driving his little uh, Geo Metro with the, the muffler falling down on the ground, he'd probably look at that and think, well, I can imagine enough. And people in other countries that are starving would look at that and think, I could, I could think of enough. And it's not that being wealthy is bad or anything. That's not what I'm saying. It's that nothing in this world will satisfy like God. Because we are created in his image. God placed eternity within the heart of man. And so only that which is eternal can satisfy it. And that's God. That is his kingdom. That is where we find purpose and that is where we find fulfillment. But it won't be fulfillment according to worldly standards. It won't be the kind of fulfillment where you know, the world tells you, oh, when you've made it, just sit back, live a life of ease with no problems. God says, oh, no, when you make it in my kingdom, get ready. Satan's going to attack, and you're going to be in spiritual battles all the time. But, hey, I'm going to carry you through it, and you're going to make a dent in the devil's kingdom. And you're going to see that when you get to heaven, all that I did through you, and you're going to praise me for it. See, it's an amazing thing. That God's glory literally satisfies us. And, and Peter tells us that. He says we serve by the strength and the gifts of God. We're motivated by the grace that he gives us. And we cooperate with it. And he says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. We serve so that God is glorified. I, we have to adopt that mindset. That everything we do is done to glorify God. That means you own a business. You do business to the glory of God. You teach school, you teach to the glory of God. You're retired, you do the work that you do in retirement to the glory of God. 
whatever it is, what God has called you to do, where you're involved. You're a parent, you parent to the glory of God. You attach eternal significance to it, and when we do that, we realize God's got this. And and my mistakes along the way are not going to derail his plans. You know, there's incredible freedom to realize that. Like, we cannot derail God's overall plans. Nothing we can do will ever stop God's plans. We can make it harder on ourselves. We can delay stuff in our own lives. But overall, you're going to wind up where God wants you to wind up. You can't stop it. Because that's God's grace in your life. He's going to train you. Now, training can be difficult or it can be a little easier. You know, it's always going to be hard. But it depends on how much we have to suffer along the way of whether or not we cooperate with it. But God's going to accomplish his will. But we can be comforted by that. Of like, I can't mess this up. Grace has this. God really has this. I can't mess it up. I just got to follow him. I just got to walk with him. I'm off the hook here. Jesus died for me. My sins are forgiven. I'm off the hook for performance here. It's my job to simply follow him. To do everything to his glory. And so when we take this on and we become servant witnesses we're able to kind of let go of worldly things that just don't matter. And we're able to say, you know what? I serve the kingdom of God. I want to witness to the kingdom of God. And how God uses my service and my witness is up to him. I'm just going to be faithful and show up day after day and do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to try to serve him. And I'm going to be satisfied in the knowledge that God is using me. You know, I used to, in sermons... I used to wonder, you know, what's God going to do through this one? And I, I would have, I'd be all jazzed up about some of them. You know, I'd be writing sermon like, oh, this is the one. This is the one. Revival is coming this Sunday. This is it. And I'd preach it, and afterward, people are like, yeah, that's nice. That, that was okay. And I'm like, this was amazing. You know what? God was working to me that week. <laughs> that's why. And then there are other times that I'd, I would finish a sermon, and I'd preach it, and I'm like, I'm not sure what I just said. And people come up, and they're like, your sermon changed my life. I've never heard it like that. That was amazing. And I'm like, what are you going to say? And, you know, I kind of gave up over time of trying to predict what God was going to do. And I found a lot of freedom in it. Like, it, it, it was literally a weight off my shoulders as a preacher Because I know I put in the work ahead of time. I prepare. I pray over it. I put what God wants together, and then I come in. I give it out, and I'm like, God, it's yours. (laughs) Once I preach it, God, it is yours. You do with it what you want. If lives are changed, it's because you did it. It's not because anything I did. I, I am trying to be faithful to what God gave me, and you do with it what you want. And I found personally a lot of freedom in that. And I think that that's a principle that would apply across the board. Results are God's domain, not ours. Service, faithful stewardship is our domain. And if we will adopt that mindset and just wholeheartedly take it in, if my job is to be faithful, my job is to be faithful to what's in front of me. My job is to serve God and be faithful day after day after day after day. We can feel confident that, you know what, God's got it. And we'll be sad when we do see God move. We're like, awesome. And we're satisfied by it. 
And if God tarries, if it delays, which God's really good at doing, okay, he likes to wait. He knows we don't, and so he likes to wait. We're good with eventually it's going to happen. Even if it's in heaven, eventually I'm going to see what God was doing. Eventually I'm going to see the glory of God. I'm going to see the kingdom of God. Eventually it will happen, so I'm good. Because this isn't about me. And so God's glory literally satisfies us in life like nothing else can. If we make our goal to glorify God as servant witnesses, then we understand I can't save anybody, but I can tell them about Jesus. And then God can use that to save them. I can serve people in the strength that he gives. God doesn't expect anyone to be superhuman here. Remember he said, serve in the strength he provides. If you're faithful to that, God will use it. And you can go to bed each night saying, I did what I was supposed to do. I was faithful today. May God be glorified in it. And you will have peace. And I mean that. You will have peace in life. You'll have peace in your heart. You'll have peace in your mind. And you'll, you'll trust God's being glorified. God did not call me to change the world. He called me to be faithful. And if I'm faithful and all of his people are faithful, guess what? The world will change because God will work through his body. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day. God, an opportunity to serve, an opportunity to know you, to walk with you, and to serve you. God, teach us what it means to be a servant witness, God, that will typically gravitate to one or the other, to serving or to witnessing. But God, help us to combine the two, that we would live for your glory, that our service would point people to the gospel, that our words would be backed up by our service, but would also share the gospel, that our lives would truly be about you and not about ourselves that we would experience the joy and the peace and the love that come from walking with you. And that we would be just as excited to share that with others as we are to receive it from you. God, make us a conduit for your love to other people. Help us to serve in the power that you have given. Help us to attach the, the proper eternal significance to the things that you have called us to in life. God, those things that are keeping us from serving you in the right way, God, we pray that you convict us and that we remove those from our lives so that our service is not hindered. God, where we struggle, Lord, I pray that you help us to see your grace as active. God, where we fail, God, we would see that you are faithful. And so, God, we ask you to, Lord, help us to become what you want us to be, to go down the path of discipleship and become servant witnesses. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray together. Amen.